I appreciate the chance to be able to share today. As, as I've worked through Psalm 29, we're going to start at verse 3. I think if all of us are honest with each other, we exist or have exist, existed in one, or two, one of two states in our lives, usually on a daily, sometimes hourly basis. There are broken areas of our lives that we're simply trying to survive through another day. Brokenness maybe has overrun our very existence. And for us, to quote Star Trek, I don't know how many of you are Star Trek fans. Um, if you're not, I'm sorry. But um, Star Trek's one of the lines is there, resistance is futile. And a lot of times, or futile, i got to say, make sure I say it right. A lot of times we feel like that. How do we get through another day? We're drowning. There seems to be no hope whatsoever in our lives. And in this brokenness, we start to question pretty much everything. We begin to feel maybe that God is done with us. There is no further relationship with God. He, maybe, he, maybe we get to the point where we start to feel like he can't deal with our constant failures. Every day, every minute of every day, we're struggling. We fail. We get up. We fail. We get up. And so that all that, at times, all we feel like that's left for us is a long, slow, painful death. And we just have to exist another day. We have to survive. We have to breathe. We have to put one foot in front of another. And as we begin to look at Psalm 29, we need to realize that Jesus uses and loves even broken things. He can use us in our brokenness. Now, to give you a little bit of background on why I think that, there's three places that we don't have to turn there, but I just want to kind of give them to you because they're, they're very familiar or should be fairly familiar to us. In Matthew, five loaves, two fish. Everybody remember that story? What does Jesus do? He breaks them. And then he uses them to bless multitudes. Maybe there's brokenness in your life today. He can use that to bless the people around you. Sometimes we feel useless. But he says, no, I can use that brokenness. In fact, I brought that brokenness into your life. That's out of Matthew 14. Out of Judges, uh, chapter 6 through 8, there's the story of Gideon. And he's up against the Midianites. And God says, take torches, trumpets, and clay pots. And take them out against the enemy. And what does he do? He puts the, the torch underneath the clay pot and at the right time he says break those clay pots and ultimately light shone forth and in our brokenness God's light can shine out so he uses the broken fish he uses our broken clay pots the older I get the more I feel like a crack pot no I didn't sorry that's an old joke um but we do. We get old. We get tired. You know, I know some kids, 15, 16 years old, who could pass for 30-year-olds because they're just worn out already in life. 
Finally, in, in uh, Mark, in chapter 14 of Mark, remember Mary? She brings an alabaster box, and she breaks it, and she anoints Jesus' feet. And what does he say to her? Well, he says it to the other guys, actually. He says, leave her alone. What she does for me is good. Now, you may not feel that way. I may not feel that way when my life is broken. But it's good for Jesus. He can use that in ways that we can't even fathom. I mean, here Mary comes to him, breaks something that's precious to her, that's costly to her. Maybe there's things in our lives that are broken, that are precious, that have cost us a lot. And we offer them to Christ, they're broken. And it's good for him. Now, I don't know about you, but when something's good for Jesus, it's good for me. That's a good place to be able to be. Well, the, the intriguing thing to me is not so much that Jesus uses broken things, but how does he use them? How does he bring the mess, the junk, the ugliness of our life into a place that he can use us again? into a place that he has actually prepared. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures today that, that may give you, um, I don't know, Buzz, is agita an uh, Italian word? Okay, it, close enough. <laughs> I can't spell it, but it may give you agita. Okay? It may upset you a little bit because we don't think that God stirs the pot of our life quite like that. So maybe you've walked with Jesus for quite some time. Maybe you're new to the faith and find yourself distant from him. Maybe today you've never even responded to him when you knew he was calling. You knew whether through circumstance or through people that he had spoken directly to you, and and maybe you just turned a deaf ear. My hope today is through Psalm 29, through his word, through his voice, you'll hear him calling to you. There's something unmistakable about voices. There was a time in my life where I, didn't, I wasn't able to hear my wife's voice for quite a few months. And the moment I heard it, I knew that that was it. You know, we can spot those things that are precious. Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice. And when we hear the voice of God calling to us today, we can't ignore it. We can't step away from it. We shouldn't. I should say, turn a deaf ear to it. Well, in in, uh, Psalm 29, I'm a big lister. The older I get, the more lists I have for my lists. I check off the fact that I have a list. Now I have another list about that list. So bear with me today. You're going to have a lot of lists if you're taking notes. Um, Great. If you're not, I can give you this stuff later, but... um, These are things that are important for us to to allow to sink into our hearts, to allow Christ to begin to change the very fabric of who we are. Now, David repeats the terminology, the voice of the Lord. He uses it uh, directly seven times. And anytime Scripture repeats something like that, you really, it's important to take a look at why he's doing that. But he also gives us some insight into the character of the speaker. The, the one who is bringing out that message. And it, it's one thing if I read a letter from my wife 
It's another thing if I read uh, a letter from George. I can hear the voices, but I react differently because of my relationship difference in that. So listen to how your heart reacts as you hear his voice today. Part of what voices do is give us an insight into the character of the speaker. And that's what David begins to reveal today. And we're going to see that all these character traits are really a reflection of who Christ is. Because what is um, John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And if you skip down to verse 14 in John chapter 1, it says the Word became what? Flesh. These are good Bible students. I like that. The Word became flesh. There was meat and bones to what God had to say. So David shows us seven things. I'm going to run through them real quick, and then we'll go back and in each verse begin to notice some nuances that David pulls out. First of all, the voice of the Lord thunders over the storms in our life. He has a different perspective than we have, and he thunders. The voice of the Lord is powerful in our battles. It means it has the ability to do what it says it's going to do. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Now we're going to see that that majesty, we don't use that word an awful lot, And we're really going to see that it really means excellence. The voice of the Lord speaks excellence into where? Into our inner man. It's a voice that can break up the strongholds in our lives. Even those foundational things, those things that we've been sitting on forever, that we all say, we we say, I can never get by this. I am never going to change. I can't. Notice the eyes in all of this. I can't fix this. But we're going to see here with David, he says that God will break the very foundational things in your life, maybe those things that you set up as comfort zones in your life, those comfort sins. Okay, nobody has those. I'm the only one, right? There's no, there's no even acknowledgement that you all have comfort sins. So maybe I should sit down. I don't know. But we do. We all have those areas in our life. We all have those areas that Hebrew says so easily weigh us down or beset us or or um, in, a, in a very real sense, cause us to drown in, at times. It's a voice that divides and conquers the fires in our lives. Those wildfires that rage out of control, he can divide and conquer. Now, sometimes those fires are set by others. They bring a firestorm into our life. However, sometimes we set those fires ourselves. We do those very things that bring destruction into our life. Now, fire can be good. It can warm us. It can give us comfort. There is nothing more than I like to set up a a fire in my fireplace, turn all the lights off at night, and then watch the fire and the flame dance. But it's a big difference if I set the fire up in the fireplace to if I set the fire up in the middle of my living room. I don't think my wife would like that. Neither would the fire department. So God brings control into those flame and and crazy areas of our life. We're going to see that many times his voice can even cause some pain inside of us. 
when we hear it, we don't like what he's saying. Maybe at that point he's trying to reshape some of the dry and uh, arid desert areas of our hearts and our lives. But finally, he's, we're going to see that his voice brings new life. And there is nothing that I know that blesses us more than when Jesus begins to bring new life into dead areas of our life. Who doesn't like new babies? I mean, you don't, when you go, we, we uh, just had another granddaughter uh, a few months back. And when they come out, okay, you always tell the mother they're cute, right? You have to. But they're wrinkly. You know, they got their ears stick out and this and that. But you know what? They're beautiful because it's brand new life. It's a new slate. It's something that, that will be created over the course of time. And how we need newness of life in our own life. Now, one thing to keep in mind, when we cover each one of these, remember that it's not just his voice that's powerful, it's the speaker who's powerful. It's not just excellence in his voice, it is the fact that he is excellent. And his character is something that we can count on. His character is that thing that brings us peace and joy and hope when there's death and devastation and destruction when we think we just can't go on another moment. So let's start out. Verse, in verse 3, uh, it says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. Now we need to understand a little bit of the Hebrew mind here. David's, his audience, he's coming from a place, uh, and, and to his audience, it's a Hebrew audience. And the word voice there uh, I am not a Hebrew or Greek scholar, but I do have a decent computer that figures this stuff out for me. It's, the word, it's pronounced kol. Um, it's Q-O-W-L. However, the nuances of that word we need to understand before we go any farther. First of all, it, it means four things to the Hebrew mind. One, it means to call out loud. Two, it means to thunder. Three, it means to spark. Or fourth, finally, it means to sing. We're going to look at each one of these for a second. His voice speaks clearly out loud. One, clearly, and he calls aloud, clearly and distinctly in the midst of our storms. If you've ever been out on a, on a lake or an ocean in the midst of a storm, it's hard to hear even somebody who's standing right next to you. Yet his voice is clear and distinctive. What more do we need when, we're, when our lives are in chaos? When the storms are blowing and the waves are crashing, we need to hear from one whose voice is clear. Go this way, do this, do that. Secondly, the Hebrew mind understood it, that it, it's a voice that's thunderous. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I love thunderstorms. My wife thinks I'm crazy. I'll stand out in the middle of lightning I figure, you know, if the Lord wants me, he can take me. That's okay. She's not keen on that idea quite yet. But there is nothing more distinct than thunder. You know, you get uh, a storm coming in, and you see lightning, and the closer it gets, the more the storm rages, the louder the thunder is. I love it when the thunder's like right above the house, and our house is not really well built, so you get the windows kind of like this and the, the dog starts to go crazy 
try to hide under the bed. The third thing his voice does is it sparks. It brings a spark into our life. What does he spark? He sparks hope. He wants to be able to say, in your darkness, in your storm, in the, the, the death of where you see yourself to be, I want to spark new life. Doc was talking a month or two ago, maybe, uh, about the dry bones in Ezekiel. God sparked some new life there. He just breathed it right out. And finally, in all of these things, the terminology voice of the Lord speaks about singing. Now, I really do look forward to the day that I can hear God sing. Now, I get to sing, I get the pleasure of singing with these four or five folks every week and with all of you guys. And frankly, if I could stop playing guitar and listen to you guys sing, it really is a cool sound. You sound very, very good. Uh, most of you. I won't tell you who. <laughs> no, but singing with these folks, it's, it's, a, it's a blessing. It's, it's, a, it's a really cool thing in my life. But to hear God sing in the midst of my storm, what do mommies sing to babies at night when they're scared? Lullabies. There brings a peace, a calmness to a little one. Remember that even in his singing, it's clear, it's loud, it's, it's distinct. But ultimately, we need to understand that God is over. He is above the waters in our life, the storms in our life. Peter was glad that Jesus was above the waves, right? He's starting to tank, poof, down he goes. What's he do? Jesus, save me. Lord, save me. Jesus reaches down, grabs him. I always get this picture when I read that story of, of Jesus kind of picking him up, you know, like a little kid by the back of the neck or the back of the, the shirt collar and walking him. You know, I got this. What are you worried about? Jesus or uh, Peter's feet is kind of dangling over the water. If you notice that that story, and I, think, I believe it's in Luke, the storm does not calm down until they reach the boat. Jesus can be over the waters in your life, far above them, able to reach down. His arm, as it tells us in Isaiah uh, 59, I think it's verse 2, verse 1 or verse 2, says that his arm is not so short that it can't save. No matter where you're at in life today, no matter where I tend to rebel and to travel away from him, he's got that arm that can always reach out to us. So first of all, we see that his voice is over the waters. His character is above the circumstances in our life. Second, we see in verse 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. What do we need in the midst of our struggles? Someone who is more powerful than us. Someone who can look at this situation and say, I got this, it's going to be okay. Isaiah 55.11 says, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void or empty or useless, but it will accomplish that which I please. We, like to tend, we tend to want to change that verse. Lord, I want your, your word to accomplish what I please. Don't we? We want Jesus to be that little genie in a bottle that says, hey, I'm in trouble. 
Doc talked about it this morning, about foxhole Christians, those that get in all sorts of trouble, and we're all, we all guilty of this, get in all sorts of trouble and then cry out, Lord, save me. I've been a jerk. I've dug my own trench. I've done this. I've done that. I need you to get me out of this, and I will serve you forever. I'll do whatever you want. I'll give up everything. And then when he comes to the rescue and fixes our blunders, how soon do we forget? But here he tells us, I will accomplish that which I sent it out to do. And it will prosper to the thing that I sent it to do. Jesus' word is powerful. He has the ability. The word uh, powerful there really speaks to the ability of the speaker. We hear that echoed in in Hebrews 4.12, right? For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and uh, and of the intents of the heart. How many times do our brains go fuzzy and we can't even figure out what we're thinking most of the time? Yet his word gives us that ability, grants to us, he can speak into the midst of our foggy brains and can divide up our thoughts, can bring though even the intents, what we're intending to think, what we're intending to do. So, the Lord's voice is powerful. And second, we see that the Lord's voice is full of majesty. And again, that's a word we don't use an awful lot nowadays. Um, I don't know about you guys. I've never seen his majesty or her. It's a her majesty now, I think. But here it means excellence. For too long, all of us are guilty of living in a state of spiritual mediocrity, a place where we're just not where we ought to be. And we need Jesus Christ to speak excellence into our life. Excellence in our prayer life. Excellence in our walk before believers. Excellence in our walk before our families. Excellence in our existence with Him. No show of hands, but how many of you would say, my walk with Christ is excellent today? We need Him to speak that kind of of excellence into our lives. So as we listen for his voice today and in the future days coming, we need to be listening for those things that he wants to impart to us, he wants to instill into us. So first, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. Second, it's powerful. Third, it's full of majesty. Fourth, the voice of the Lord in verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Now, we need to understand what these cedars were just for a second. Let me give you a little bit of background. These were those things that when they were building houses, when they were building uh, their temples, when they were building their tents, whatever it was, the cedars of Lebanon were those choice pieces, those choice beams that would just not break. They would be those foundational things that would be underneath shoring up the building up above. Uh, my wife and I took one of our grandkids to the zoo the other day, and I've built a lot of things over the years, but on one of the buildings, I can't remember which one it was, they had 10 or 12 by 12 
pressure-treated beams as posts. Those babies are big. And as I'm thinking of this verse, uh, this word breaks there, just his voice breaks these things. I was halfway tempted to start shouting at one of the beams just to see what would happen. I think she would have left me there. Go visit the alligators. Stay there. But here, we get an inkling into the God who loves us, who says, I know these things may be foundational, or you think they are in your life. You may have used these things to shore up your existence, to build your home, your heart's home. Maybe there's sin that that seems to take up residence in our lives that everything else kind of gets built on. You know, there, there was a point in my life, and, and these are not new things to some of you guys, there was a point in my life where sin had run rampant. And, you know, when you, when you start lying about anything, you have to, if I lie to Ken, and then I tell the same story to Bill, I've got to make sure that those two stories line up. And if I tell the story again, I've got to, you know, you get to be, you know, your brain goes haywire because of the sin that is foundational to your life. And here, Jesus just says, I want to speak to those areas in your life. And frankly, I want to break them up. We think we can't live without it. We think we will never survive, never get to the next stage of our life if these things are taken away. But those strongholds, those places that you've banked everything on, Jesus says, I want to speak to those areas. I want to break them up and begin to build new things. And we're going to see here pretty soon that he's going to start to shore up with brand new things. And and frankly, I'm not sure why we do this, but in our lives, we do tend to believe lies. We believe lies when people tell us things. We believe lies about ourselves. I'm not sure why we don't believe the truth when God speaks directly into our hearts, but we have a harder time with that. You know, we, we tend to believe it when somebody says something nasty about us. But what do we do when somebody says, hey, you did real good. That was great. No, 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 no. Well, part of that is, tell me it again. But rea- reality is, we don't believe sometimes when truth is spoken directly into us. And we need to understand today that this whole chapter here, okay, everything from Genesis to Revelation is God's truth, Right? However, we need to understand that the, the, the bits and pieces of this verse, or these verses, are direct truths that God wants to speak into your life today. And maybe he's looking at your life today and saying, there's some foundational things in your life, Glenn. There's some things in your life that have to go. And my voice wants to speak truth into those areas. It's important that we take time to listen to what God's saying and, and really begin to ask ourselves, Lord, what am I believing that's a lie in my life? Where do you want to speak your truth? David unpacks this a little bit farther in verse 6. He says, He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild ox. Now, we, a little bit of background here. These are two mountains. And more specifically, Syrian is just another name for Mount Hermon. We've heard that. Uh, a lot in the, New, in the Old Testament. 
Lebanon really is a is a wooded mountain range on the north side, uh, at least from this perspective, on the north side of Israel. And David's beginning to give us a hint about the power of God's voice. Sometimes we think, you know, this is just a little problem. I got this. But when we run up against the mountains in our lives, we take on a whole different view. And here David is saying, even if these things are like Mount Hermon, if there's one big thing in your life that you're just not getting by, you just seem to be stuck, God's voice can speak at that point in your life. More specifically, he goes on to say, even if it's like Lebanon, the mountain range, you look at your life and say, it's not just one mountain in my life. There's a million of them, and I can't get past anything. And sometimes we don't even feel like we can try. Maybe they're, you feel like they're unscalable. You can't get up and over them. Maybe they're things that you think are just out of control, the mountain of chaos in your life. Maybe they're mountains of our own building. How many of us go through daily and sabotage our own existence. I see this in inmates' lives all the time. There was one young man, I, I got the, a chance to see him, uh, I forget what prison right now, and I got to chatting with him and he said, Chaplain Glenn, I am never going to sell drugs on that street corner ever again. I've learned my lesson. And I thought it was great. We got to chatting and this and that. And I said, well, tell me, tell me more. He said, well, I am never going that direction. I'm never standing on that street corner again. I'm going over here and sell them. <laughs> Missed the point. Totally. Those mountains in his life were of his own creating. Maybe we have mountains of fear, and we nurse those mountains. Maybe we have mountains of anxiety or worry or anger of apathy, and we just can't seem to get past them. What does he say, what does David say that God can do with these mountains? He says they'll skip like a calf or like a young wild ox. The word, word skip there literally, literally means to spring about wildly with joy. You know, it, there's, there's an advantage for Ann and I to live in, out and in the country. Um, we're not quite 315ers, if any of you are, sorry. But um, we're, clo- we're really close, like 100 yards away from 315. But um, it is really cool when, the, when the, uh, the cattle out there start to, to give birth and you see the new babies running around. And they're kicking up, and they're running around. They fall over, and this and that. But they're just having a grand old time. And this is what David is saying that God can do to the mountains that are looming over us. He can bring joy in the midst of those mountains. And what's our first? If you're, if you're at, at all in the place right now, start to think about those things that are facing you, those mountains that are just looming, can you imagine that that place will begin to bring you joy today? It's hard to see. 
We just want to curl up, pull the covers over, and lay there forever and ever. Thing, the only thing that gets me up is I've got to get up to eat. And I go back to bed. We just don't, we don't want to do anything. And God says, I want to bring joy. My voice can speak that kind of joy into your life. What does joy bring us? Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is our... Thank you. The joy of the Lord is our strength. When we're climbing a mountain, what do we need? We need new strength. We get tired. We get worn out. We get weary. We just don't want to try anymore. And God says, I can speak joy into your life. I can bring strength. That word strength there means a fortress or a defense. When we feel defenseless, Jesus Christ is there. It's part of his character to speak to the foundational things of our life. So that was the fourth thing. The fourth thing was that he breaks up those areas. The fifth thing, now this is where, um, oops, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. Now I, I looked this verse up a couple of different places, and most of the places um, uh, translate the word um, flashes to the word divides. Because uh, literally the word means to divide or to carve out or to create something. And, you know, again, going back to our fireplace in our house, I, I, I love to watch the flames dance and this and that. But the one thing I can't do is say, okay, you portion of this fire, you go over here, you go over here. You go home and try it if you like. Don't send me the hospital bill. But you can't do that. You can't just speak. You can't stick your hand in there and say, okay, you over here and you over here. It doesn't work like that. But his voice can begin to take those flames that are out of control. Have you, ever, have you seen the, the news over the last, it seems more in the last couple of years, the wildfires that have been out there? Just the mass destruction. Uh, talk about weapons of mass destruction. They just rage out of control more and more. The one was thousands and thousands of acreage and houses, hundreds of houses that were lost. And God can look at that and say, no, you, flame, sit over there, stay put, and do what I tell you to do. We don't have that ability in our life. Even if we create that firestorm in our life, we can't do it. Sometimes we start something on, oh, I can control this. One drink, no big deal. I got this. Six, six packs later, we're out of control. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. When we don't realize what kind of devastation we're igniting. So when the destructive external forces of a firestorm come into our lives, he can split it up, he can cut it up, and he can even use it to carve out beauty in our life. A good friend of ours is a wood carver, and he has done some magnificent deep relief wood carvings. And he, he, uh, he does them, and they're, they're, uh, I, think, I believe they're four to eight inches thick, and he weaves in... Um, 
uh, what do you call it, the light, uh, fiber optic lighting throughout them. So if you look at the building from over here, the lights are on over here. But if you move over here, then the, then the sunset comes over here and there's light behind it. It really is cool. And it's all made out of wood. Um, he, he carves things that are phenomenal. And that's what Jesus wants to do in your life today. He wants to use the firestorms of your life. Now, Hugh's been to a lot of fires, right, Hugh? And most of those things bring destruction, devastation, ruin. But even in that, Jesus Christ can bring beauty out of the ashes of your life. Maybe that's all you see right now is ashes. Maybe all you see is the leftover, you know, when ashes get wet, they're like, you know, you step in them, they follow you everywhere. But you know what? Christ wants to speak into that. Now, maybe those flames are not external. Maybe they're internal. Maybe there's fiery passions inside of you that you just can't get a grip on. Maybe that fire within you is starting to burn other people. And Jesus wants to speak to that area too. To say, I want to divide that area up in your life. I want to begin to conquer that. I want to begin to bring an end to it. It has no place in your life. And we need to understand, we need to allow his voice to speak into those areas that are just out of control, whether they're by other people or by us. Verse 8. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The word Kadesh there just means wanderings. How many of us find ourselves in dry places from time to time? Dry, arid, wastelands, nothing that uh, has any sort of nourishment to it, devoid of beauty. Maybe your wilderness uh, is that place where uh, the if you if you go out when you back in the day when the travelers were heading out west with with covered wagons and all that they had certain paths that they went by and David's terminology here is much like that well-trodden pathway that's been stepped on that's been run over maybe your life feels like it's been stepped on maybe you just feel like a Mack truck has hit you and you've been run over and there is nothing left and Jesus says that his voice stirs up or shakes up that wilderness. Now, we need to understand that when he shakes up stuff, sometimes it has a little pain associated with it. When my life gets shaken up, it hurts. Yet he does it so that he can reconstruct, so that he can bring new life. My wife will tell you that years gone by when I wasn't walking with the Lord, that she would pray, Lord, bring him back to yourself. Bring him to a place where he understands. And sadly, she'll tell you, sadly she said, do whatever it takes, Lord. She doesn't regret that statement so much now anymore. But when she said it, she did. Because what did it bring in my life? It brought prison in my life. It brought Jesus Christ speaking into my life and shaking up the dryness of my life and saying, this far, no farther, Glenn, are you going any farther? You're not moving. 
I'm going to take you, and I'm going to put you here. And that was one of the most painful areas or times in our life. Yet looking back at it, I will never regret going because what it did for her and I, what it did in our lives. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus has to send you to prison. I hope he doesn't. But maybe as he stirs up things in your life, he's going to allow some pain, he's going to cause some pain to come into your life, and that hurts a little bit. Surgery sometimes hurts. Well, surgery always hurts, in my opinion. You touch me with a needle and I scream like a girl. I won't example. I'll give you an example of that. <laughs> but that surgery, even though it causes some pain, brings healing. You may have to cut something out of your life. Joel chapter 2, verse 25. We've heard this verse a lot, but sometimes we, we miss the end of it. It says, I will restore to you the years, plural. Maybe there's not just a year in your life that's messed up. Maybe it's been years. Maybe it's been decades that you've lived like this. Jesus says, I will restore the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm, the palmer worm, the caterpillar. My great army that I sent among you. Wow. That Jesus would bring an army into my life to change it? I mean, what is, a, what is a locust? If you think of the, the a, a swarm of locusts going through, what does it leave behind? Nothing. Life has to be different after that. The only thing it leaves behind is locust poop. You know? And what's God going to do with that? Maybe he'll use it as fertilizer in your life. I don't know. But he has to stop where you're at so that he can rebuild restructure. And how does he do it? Just by his voice. As he speaks things into existence. How did God create the world in Genesis 1? Spoke it. Thank you. All he did was speak. Use his voice. And that's what he'll do into each one of us. Speak new life. And here we see that in verse 9. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to give birth and strips the forest bare. In his temple all cry glory. His voice, while you may think you're dead and dying and there is nothing left, will bring brand new life when there is no hope. And these are things that, that maybe you don't resonate with today. Maybe you're saying, you know what? That fat old white guy up front, He's got nothing for me. I don't get it. It has nothing to do with where I am at in my life today. But maybe this week you're going to sit down and have coffee with somebody who says, my life is done. My life is over. I've made too many mistakes. Too many people have walked on top of me. Too many decades of other people's sins in my life, my sins in my life, there is no hope. But here we have... Seven character traits of a holy God that you can say, no, my God is powerful. My God can speak excellent. He has the power and ability to change your life. He can speak excellence to where you're at. Nothing in my life is excellent. How can that be? We can, it's in black and white, people. We can take it and say, no, it says it right here. There is no question. This is not your opinion. 
My wife is free, she'll tell you, Glenn's free and entitled to his wrong opinion. It has nothing to do with my opinion of this. This is God's word, and this is what he says. That in the midst of death and dying, he will make and bring into your life new birth. Now, sometimes he says, or sometimes he has to do it a different way. He has to strip the forest bare. He has to leave nothing behind. He has to strip us down and say, let's start again. But his grace is sufficient to do that. And since he has the ability, and he's the one doing it, what does that cause this temple? Right? What is the um, uh, Corinthians tells us? That we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, right? And our temple, for those who have that Pentecostal bent behind them, what does it want to say, cry out when we've seen God step into our life? We want to cry out, come on, Ken, you can do this better than any of us. Glory! Right? That's, you know, I, I'm not much on TV preachers, but I do like it when they start dancing around, shouting glory. Because that's what we'll cry out. God has stepped into my life. He has been powerful. He has brought change. He has brought new life. And I can cry out, glory. God has spoken and created newness. When we see the Lord at His work, when His voice speaks, when we know that we know that we know that we know, we can't help but just cry out glory. Now this chapter ends with the fact that it brings peace into our life as well. What more do we need than His glory and His peace? In our life. If you have your Bibles, we're going to close with this. Go to the book of Zephaniah. <laughs> yeah, I got blank stares from everybody. Zephaniah. Okay. Go to Matthew. Back up four, four chapters. Or if you find uh, Micah and Nahum, Micah, you go forward three chapters. It's at the end of, your, at the, end of the Old Testament. So if you have them, get to chapter 3. You don't even have to spell Zephaniah, so that's good. Chapter 3, verse 17. And this is one of those verses that we could swim around in forever. It's a promise from a holy God to our individual lives. And it speaks directly of His ability as God. The Lord your God is in your midst. What better comfort is there to know when we're broken and when we're tired that God is with us? No, I've run too far from you, Lord. I've hidden too far from you. I've walked too far from you. I've been to this or I've been to that. No, the Lord your God is in your midst. And He's not only in your midst, He is what? A mighty one who will save. Not who might save. Not who will... Let me think about it. But who will save. And as he does that, what does he do? He rejoices over you with gladness. If you don't hear anything else today, realize that God is glad you are his child. If, in fact, you are his child, and if you are, he's glad about it.
First thing that comes to my mind is, think, is I think, yeah, but I'm such a goofball. I've made so many mistakes. How can my Father, how can God Almighty ever rejoice over me? doesn't matter what I think. It says it here. He will rejoice over you, each one of you. You can put your name in there. He will rejoice over Ken with gladness. Over Ralph with gladness. Each one of us, no matter where we're at. And then what does he do? It says he will quiet you by his love. He will rest or we will be allowed to rest in his love. Maybe we need rest today from the chaos that's around us. Maybe we need, as the choir is going to sing in a bit, maybe we need to learn to walk by faith because he says he will quiet us. And finally, he says, he will exalt over you with loud singing. How good that's going to be to hear God sing loudly just for you. You have a concert of one. You get to sit in the audience and hear Jesus Christ sing to you. Now, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm, the older I get, the more of a crybaby I get to be. My kids love to pick on me for that one. But I'll tell you what, when I hear my God sing, I will bawl like a baby, and that's okay. But that's what he says to each one of us today. He will sing over us. So, quick recap, and then we're done. The seven things that David lists out are, yes, what the effectiveness of his voice is in our life. We can pray through those things. We can ask God to be powerful in our life, to speak excellence in our life, to break up the strongholds, to divide and conquer the firestorms that either we've created or that have been created around us. Lord, please shake up the dry areas of my life. Don't allow me to stay in this desert place, in this dry, dead area. And finally, Lord, bring new life. Now, maybe we need to pray that for ourselves. Maybe when we're thinking about others in our lives, these things are things that we can directly say, Lord, please bring new life into so-and-so's life. Please, Lord, I see that there's dry areas in so-and-so's life. Please, shake that up a little bit. Stir them up a little bit. Love them through that. Let them hear your voice. And Lord, when you do all of that, we understand that your voice will thunder in that storm. Let them hear your voice in the midst of that. If this psalm does, do, does nothing else for you but give you a place, a directed uh, place to be able to pray, it ought to be able to do that. Father, thank you for the chance to hear your word. Thank you for the... Um, fact that your voice is powerful. Thank you that you love us enough to speak to us. All too often, Lord, when we get mad at each other, we stop speaking. 
And you don't do that with us. You continue to minister. You continue to speak. You continue to bring new life into those dead areas. And Lord, I'm asking for each person here today that when we hear your voice this week, that we would be able to say, Glory. God has spoken. I have heard my Lord. I have seen Him work. And now I can rest in His love. In Jesus' name, Amen.